either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, welcome. Happy holiday weekend. Hope you're enjoying it. Staying healthy, staying safe. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com. And what else are we going to start with? One that one of us have been looking forward to for quite a while now. <laughs> the reason we got Disney Plus. It's the movie version of the incredible musical Hamilton. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. I don't want to sound like I didn't look forward to this, just not as much as you did. But I, you know, we've mentioned this before. I am not a musicals person. Musicals are not my bag. Right. I do like this one. I liked it when we saw it. I liked it when you made me listen to the CDs as we drove (laughs) cross country one time again and again. So you would know all the words to all the songs before we saw it. And I liked it. Than the movie as well. Yeah, I will. I do remember we were lucky enough to see a touring company came through Columbus and we were lucky enough to see it and it was great and we did get familiar with the songs ahead of time and I remember you liking it more than most of the musicals that I've dragged you to True. over the years. But uh, So the nice thing about this movie is it's getting a, a wide release. It was, it was supposed to be, of course, a big screen mm-hmm. release for Disney. Uh, they moved it back to Disney+. Plus. And anybody that sees it for the first time, number one, if you're new to Hamilton, you're going to discover what a great show it is. Yes. That's number one. Yeah. What a fantastic show it is. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, what he created with the story and the song, it, it, it's it's really phenomenal. Yes. Just on a musical level. Mm-hmm. But then the miraculous nature of this movie is how well it translates that experience to the big screen. Because think about it, they are two totally different entertainment experiences. Yes, they are. They are two completely different uh, ways to to view. They're two completely different ways of acting. Uh, cinematography and editing and just, you know, camera placement. The difference between seeing something live and feeling that energy from the stage and feeling the energy from the audience around you as opposed to watching something on a screen where you're that much separated from the human element of it. It is hard to overcome that. And we were talking uh, a lot after we saw it about how great the editing is. It really is. Edited by a guy named Jonah Moran. Fantastic job. The director is Thomas Kale, who directed the show that Mm -hmm. was... Recorded. It was recorded over two nights in 2016 at the Richard Rogers Theater on Broadway, and Thomas Kale was directing that. So then he directs this film version as well. And the vision is so great because let's let's just take a musical movie. Let's take Cats. Okay. I knew this was going to happen. The come source up. material is not nearly as good, no. but still, think about how they presented it. There was so so many close-ups in Cats that took. Took you right out of it. And remember the moments that we did think worked in Cats? They were the more spatial 
renderings of the stage, how things moved. You got more of a sense of the choreography, things like that. The focus, you could focus on other things that are going on on the stage because, as you pointed out, that's what happens in a Broadway musical. And here, you do get moments of intimacy, of close-ups, of, of uh, things where you can see the, the looks on the actors' faces, which is great, but not enough to overshadow that this is a stage experience. Yeah, well, I want to go back to that point you made a second ago, because I think one of the things that a cinematic experience can give you, you know, over theatrical experience is... If you take like so much is happening at one time mm -hmm. on the stage, so much, and your your attention is automatically drawn to the singer, mm -hmm. whoever is singing the lead song. That's sure. who you're paying attention to, and so like peripherally, you sort of get a sense of everything that's cool that's going around. Well, a savvy director can, without really diverting your attention, without taking the emphasis away from the song, can just show you for a second. Look at this cool thing over here. Look mm -hmm. what King George is doing right here. Ooh, look at the red dress creeping up back there. You know what I mean? And it's and he does a great job of not undermining the point of any of the numbers, but at the same time, helping you see things you might not have actually noticed while you were in the theater watching the show. Yeah, and the way the ensemble moves, the stage moves, little things like getting a, a, a prop, a piece of furniture out of the way. Oh, yeah. It's done so artfully. I know a lot of shows do that, but everything just flows so beautifully, and that's what you you're, you don't lose in this movie version. It's great the way it does it. It includes everything that you would associate with the theater experience, starting with the announcements mm -hmm. by King George mm -hmm. to silence your phones. <laughs> That's how the movie starts. Then you do get a one-minute intermission yeah. uh, instead of a longer one. And so if you have to pause it, that'd be the place to do it. <laughs> I certainly wouldn't pause it any other time. No. This is really meant to be to be to uh, have it wash over you, I think. Um, and then you get the applause, which I loved. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because there are times when you can feel... Because the, the camera is still on the performers during the applause, but I think you can get a sense of what that means to them as it's happening, like what that kind of burst of applause can be. You can yeah. just see it on their faces. And, um, and God, you just can't say enough about the performances. Not just the singing, which we knew, right? We knew they were great singer, singers, but because of the potential for close-ups, you get more of a sense of the truly the performance, yes. you know, how they are bringing these characters to life. And it's, it's really moving. Yeah, and I found myself laughing more because right. the funny lines are delivered. They, they help when you see the the looks on the faces. Mm -hmm. When we saw the show live, okay, we sat back a little far, uh, not not too far. Not only but, that, it, it was a, it was a traveling show, right. so it not to take anything away from the the show that we saw, but it just was not this caliber. Right, these this whole cast is oh, just it's just fantastic. So, and, and the other thing, the four years that have elapsed, I think, from the time that this show was filmed into now, the the things that are going on in the country make you feel this show a different way. Yes. Think about in 2016. There was so much about this story that talks about immigrants get the job mm -hmm. done, which mm -hmm. is awesome. Well, that was, that res not that it doesn't resonate now, but I mean, that was a more of a, a rising issue in 2016. Now, what really jumped out to me, as well as the, the immigration issue, was things like the importance of democracy yeah. itself and compromise <laughs> and how hard it was to birth this country, but to keep it going yeah. and to keep democracy thriving and compromise and not a dictatorship like yeah. they were rebelling from. Right. I think that really comes through this time. Yeah, I, no, I think you're right. I mean, I think everything about 
this from the most obvious things, which of course would be the songs, to, you know, the more subtle elements like the entire cast. Everything about the way the stage show was put together is a political statement and a brilliant one. And uh, just to see it executed so thoughtfully as it moves from the stage where it's home you know, to a screen without really, I think, losing any of that integrity and certainly not losing any of the entertainment value was amazing. It really sets a high watermark for this sort of thing, um, bringing a stage musical, the stage experience to the screen. Yeah. I can't imagine it being done better. And also, I have to say, I give props to Disney on this because think about that. So many big releases now are being held back that the releases keep keep being pushed forward. And, of course, as you've mentioned many times, nothing's in production right now. No. So they could have easily held this till 2021. Yeah. Because there's nothing going to be in 2021 yeah. if they get don't get back to production. Right. So letting them have it to Disney+, Plus, of course, Disney+, Plus is still relatively new, so it's huge for that. Yeah. And for subscriptions, like ours, because, yes. yep, guilty, they got me. Yes, but that, now, is, that you, is why we got Disney+, Plus it is. so you could see Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> But I give him credit for putting it out, not only on this weekend, which is very appropriate, right. and now you can watch it over and over. And Oh, God. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. And ki- I mean, it's so long. That, no, it's not. It really doesn't feel long when you watch it. No, it's and about I two, agree two and with and you. Yeah. First of all, that, yes, Fourth of July weekend, that, I mean, it's just... Just such a gift that it that is. is coming out Fourth of July weekend, and I'm I appreciate that they did that, that they've given us all something to watch. Because the other thing is that generally speaking, Fourth of July weekend is one of the huge theatrical weekends mm-hmm. because everybody goes out. Well, if you look around at what is being released, it's a pretty small weekend, really. Mm-hmm. Not that because people are expecting people to go out, they're expecting you to leave your house, not watch something, even though it's going to be really hot and you might just want to stay in. <laughs> yeah. um, and so there wasn't an awful lot going on this weekend, and so you know I, I think it was a little bit of a risk in that they're like. I don't know. Is anyone going to stay home and watch this? On the other, on the other hand, it couldn't have cost that much to make this. It mm. couldn't have. So they're not. It's not like Mulan. Mulan will cost them so much money if they were to release it now instead of waiting to oh, release sure. it theatrically. Yeah. So I think it was less of a financial risk. But again, I mean, I don't want to sound super cynical. I really appreciate. Because, you know, my sister Ellen, history teacher, mm-hmm. she would make us watch 1776. I love that movie. I'm sure you do. <laughs> Every 4th of July weekend, we would have to watch 1776. And now I just keep thinking, well, from now on, this can be the new thing we have to watch every 4th of July weekend. It's way better. I like this Jefferson much better. (laughs) And very worthwhile. That was Ken Howard that played Jefferson. Remember that? 1776, kids. Look it up. But before that, look up Hamilton. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Next up is a thrilling tale, true life tale. Small team of U.S. soldiers battle against hundreds of Taliban fighters in Afghanistan. It's called the Outpost. Every time they take a pot shot at us, they're figuring us out. When the big one comes, all of us dialed in. The Taliban's are here! Hundreds are coming! It's the big one, saddle up! Everybody fall back, enemy in the wire. I'll hang back and provide cover. We need to retake this camp. We don't have any air support, the manpower. Our men are trapped up there. Our ammo depot is 40 yards away. There's everything we need to stay in this fight. Let me do this, sir. I was really pleasantly surprised by this. This is this is really a very efficient, it doesn't waste a lot of your time. Very effective, pretty breathtaking thriller. And it's also one that if you just sort of look at the the idea of it and the story of it, you might wrongly assume it's nothing but jingoistic flag waving. 
You, you're right. On the other hand, you know, I think that a lot of times a war movie is going to go one way or the other. This walks a nice balance mm-hmm. of, of offering both, partly because the characters that it presents to you are human. They're humans. That and helps, so yeah. some of them have some real internal conflict and some of them are very all in. And um, and while there is a good mixture of people, of characters to get to know, the two main characters, one is played by Scott Eastwood and he's... He's the Clint Eastwood in this movie. I've seen him in a number of films before. I've never seen him play a character who is clearly, so clearly, he's channeling right. his dad. Oh, you're exactly you know, he's right. the you know soft-spoken badass, mm-hmm. and you're just gonna. He's smarter, and he's gonna figure out what he's gonna do. And if not, he's gonna really quietly reprimand you in a scary, <laughs> scary way. And then on the other end of the spectrum is the sort of outsider who really can't get behind this frat boy mentality. Played by Caleb Landry Jones, who is one of my absolute favorite like character him. actors. You do. I love him in everything he does. And I love him in this movie. And I think that balance is very important. But I don't see how anybody... It would be hard to mess up this story because it is just riveting. Uh, it's about, you know, the, they, they fly into the, their new outpost. It's in Afghanistan. It's a true story. And the outpost is at the basin of this mountain range. They are circled by mountains that the Taliban just traverses and can see down at them. That's what I couldn't believe. I know. (laughs) The placement of this thing. It was crazy. It's so crazy. And so on the one hand, it would seem like they telegraph into you, this is what's going to happen because all of these guys are in the military. They know what's going to happen. Um, And so in a certain way, they just dictate it to you. But at the same time, then they show you how it's executed. Then they show you how it's countered, and then at the end they show you who won what, because it generated more medals than almost any other battle in Army history. It's Mm. amazing. It's stunning. And the direction is great, very quick-paced, really well-edited. It's uh, Rob Lurie. Right. The Contender. Yeah, and and he also, well, he wrote The Contender, and I think, did he direct it? Mm -hmm. I know he also directed and wrote the Straw Dogs remake. Yeah, not as good. Uh, And he was a former film critic turned filmmaker. Good for him. There you go, buddy. (laughs) Anyway, I, you know, I, I can't say that I had really high hopes for this. The last several war films that I've seen I thought were fairly lackluster, and so it's possible that this just benefits from low expectations, but I, I was really, really impressed by it. And that is The Outpost. Next up is a documentary on a music producer that has helped sell more than half a billion records collaborating with various artists. It's called David Foster, Off the Record. People who are musical understand the genius of David Foster. Some guys are just the producer. They disappear in the room. There's the artist over there. He is the artist. He has that sound of a hit record. I'm very funny and extremely easy to work with in a studio. He's not. David knows exactly what he's looking for. That's his forte. He knows what he wants. I would get, and still get, I know you. You're, you're on the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And what I want to say is, hey, I got 16 f-ing Grammys, okay? I've sold half a billion records. F- that show. Every so often, we will get notification for an opportunity to review a movie with very, very short notice. 
And this was one. We got the link to review this movie the day before it opened, maybe two days before it opened. And you were already in the middle of writing a review. So by realistically, it was my turn. It was it was it was fell on me to watch this movie and write this review. And I knew immediately (laughs) that's not what was going to happen because I don't really know who David Foster is. And a really quick look at his uh, resume points out that I openly detest every <laughs> single song he has ever laid his hands on. And, and, and I says to myself, I says, I think George wants this one. And uh, you said, as you mentioned that criticism this morning on TV, I said, he heard you and he's wiping his tears with cash money. <laughs> because uh, he is incredibly, incredibly successful yes, from the is. 70s up until now. I mean, you just run off the number of artists that either the the careers that he has helped launch or save or bring to their commercial peak. I mean, you're talking Streisand and Celine Dion, Earth, Wind and Fire, Michael Bublé, Josh Groban, uh, Chicago did that whole '80s comeback with Chicago, which is a very interesting part of the movie. And uh, actually, it's it's based around the fact that if you could, if you can imagine this, he is so successful in music that he's now bored with it. Right. All these millions of albums, 19 Grammys, over 40-some nominations, goes on and on. So now he's focusing on trying to get a Broadway musical made. And so I guess that's the point in his life where he was looking back and is going to talk at length to director Barry Average about his career. And so it is. It's a fascinating career, even if you don't like the music. That's the thing. I have to admit that, that as much as it pains me to recollect <laughs> Chicago in the 80s. Um, yeah, the it funny is thing absolutely... is, it pains some of them, yeah, too, and they're still, as he points out, yeah, you may not like them, but you're still performing those songs every night, and they sold millions where, when he came along and got Chicago, they were kind of in the dumps. So. They suck! They <laughs> suck! The point is not that the music is good because it isn't. The point is, the, the documentary is yeah. fascinating. I could not look away. It is. It's very fascinating. He's a a fascinating guy. Yes, he has a huge ego. It's understandable. But he's also, I think this movie shows that he's somewhat honest about his self-assessment and the kind of guy he is and can be uh, a tyrant in the studio, domineering, sort of a Richard, as they say. <laughs> uh, but I found it very, very fascinating. The the studio work, obviously I like sound and yeah. things like that. Mm-hmm. So that's fascinating. The compromises you have to make in the studio with these artists to get the results you want. And then, just being that famous and that successful, the stories. Oh, yeah. Some great stories yes, away absolutely. from the studio, like crashing parties. And like saving the life of a legendary entertainer by nearly killing him. I know that seems weird, and I don't want to say who it was in case you watch this movie. That story is crazy. Uh, The only thing, it it started to lose me a little bit at the end when it really focuses more on his personal life and not the honest assessment, but it seems more of an orchestrated look at his personal life. That one, a little bit, was a a weak point um, for me. But other than that, yes, even if you, you are clearly not a fan of the music... (laughs) And I'm not overly. I like no, some of them. Certainly I mean, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh, yeah. But, but you know, it, there are some uh, some stories where I would rather run my car into a ditch than hear anything <laughs> from the Bodyguard soundtrack right. ever again. But still, some of the stories yes. about how Fighting he... With that, yes. Yeah. Or how he got Celine Dion to do some things, and God yeah. knows, I don't need to hear her. The point is, the stories yeah. are fantastic. And how they're amazing. he helped launch Michael Buble and Josh Groban. Oh, Those great are stuff. great stories. Oh, they're great stories. All that stuff. So yes, we found a captivating David Foster off the record. And it is now on Netflix.
Another documentary next. This film explores Georgia representatives' 60-plus years of social activism and legislative action on civil rights, voting rights, gun control, health care reform, and immigration. It's John Lewis, Good Trouble. My philosophy is very simple. When you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, say something, do something, get in trouble, good trouble, necessary trouble. He was always different than every member of Congress. The reason why he's effective as a leader is because he's lived it. You cannot replace a John Lewis. He's the most courageous person I ever met. He challenges the conscience of the Congress. There are forces in America today want to take us back, but we're not going back. We're going forward. It's hard to believe that this is the first time we've seen his life in a documentary. It's amazing. Yeah, we've certainly seen him in many other yes, documentaries absolutely. because he, is, he has been such a big part of the political landscape and the civil rights movement for decades. But you're right. The first one to just focus on him. And he's, he's an incredible figure, a small man with an, a, a huge impact. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's a great speaker. He's he's so admirable. And, you know, he's you could just listen to him talk forever. Yeah. But to hear other people actually talk about him as well, to hear other people contextualize some of these stories is, is really, really amazing. I mean, it's, a, you know, as it would be, it's a, it, it brings you chills. There there are some probably some dead spots. It's not maybe the the most as, as far as the filmmaking goes. It's maybe not the most fluid documentary you're ever going to see. But but, you know. We all need to know everything about this man's life. Yeah, the director is Don Porter, and obviously you're going to have some just goosebump-inducing archival footage because, as we said before, he's been there on the front lines of the civil rights fight back with marching with Martin Luther King and on and on and on and the Freedom Riders and on and on and on. So it's it's an incredible story, an incredible life, especially now as he's fighting... I believe pancreatic cancer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that it, it's great that he is still here to see this. Yes. To see this movie and to hopefully get the the sort of respect that he deserves, maybe from people that don't know enough about him. Yeah. Maybe younger people, especially who don't know the story. We talked about Hamilton being watched by by history classes. Here's another one. Yeah. Now again, it's just like Hamilton. This is another perfect. Fourth of July weekend movie. This mm-hmm. is another great patriotic film that we should watch as Americans. Yeah, so important to know the story of John Lewis. It's called Good Trouble. Next up is the return of one of the filmmakers from the Blair Witch Project. Remember that? This one is the story of Carl Merriweather, who believes he experienced an alien encounter at 10 years old and is now trying to reconnect with the UFO at the same location. It's called Skyman. Some local residents claim to have seen an unidentified flying object just after sunset last evening, with one young man even claiming to have been visited by what he describes as a Skyman. He didn't look human. I, I knew he wasn't a human. He has been so razor sharp focused. I guess I just figured he was finally like ready to tell a story. It's our magnet, or what's left of it. It was propelled somehow. Okay, so what? You really think that aliens did that? I don't know what to think, Gina. All I know is something's going on, and I don't think it's human related. Arthur C. Clarke once said, a sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And I've always liked magic. So you started off with, do you remember? Do I remember? (laughs) I remember the Blair Witch Project. 
Um, the Billy Witch Project is, for me, as, as you know, as you've said before, comedies are very specific to you personally and your sense of humor. So is horror. It's Blair Witch Project was scared me more than any film I've ever seen. I was, of course, excited to see. They've not, neither of the filmmakers have done a lot since then. And Daniel Merrick is back with a found footage film. Yeah, this is, he's the writer-director here on his own. And, uh, yeah, found footage. So I guess that uh, since he started, of, I know it didn't technically start it, the found footage, but he certainly started the return, the right. boom, let's yes. put it that way. Yeah, This is a alien, UFO, you know, sci-fi film, far more than it is a horror film. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't like Blair Witch because you didn't think anything happened, you're not going to like <laughs> Skyman. So I think, you know, as a, as a um, character study, it is a fine film. Michael Sella, or Sella, I apologize, uh, who, who plays Carl, he does a great job. He does a really believable job. And it's, uh, you know, it's it's a tough role. You know, he's kind of, he's got this good group of friends, but at the same time, everybody sort of thinks he's a nut. He does, it's a very emotional and empathetic portrayal. The movie is just boring as hell. That's the thing. And this the written review uh, from for MadWolf.com was done by Brandon Thomas. You want to check that out. But yeah, it's much more of a, just a character study. Like you said, don't expect anything to happen, really. It's it's a character study, and unfortunately, boredom ensues. Yeah. And that is Skyman. Next up is the latest Shudder original horror film. It's from South Korea. An evil spirit changes faces and infiltrates one family, placing one brother in danger while the other tries to save him. It's called Metamorphosis. <laughs> Korean horror on Shudder lately, and that's always a good thing. I'm, I'm a big fan of Asia Extreme Horror. Yeah, and this one is done surprisingly well for a movie that just repackages so many classic themes from other movies. Right, we've seen that also a lot we lately. We have seen it a lot lately, but here you're going to see uh, The Conjuring, you're going to see The Exorcist, you're going to see <laughs> It Follows, right. you're going to see a little bit of Us. Just a lot of things, but it holds together pretty well, because I give props to the director, Hong Seo Kim, who just seems to not care about that. (laughs) Like, this is what I got, and I'm going to plow ahead, and this is my vision, and I'm going to get some decent frights out of it. And for the most part, he does. Yeah, There are some jump scares, but not too many so that you think it's lazy. There's some good atmospherics. There's intermittent flashes of good old gore and some family dynamics that bring a sympathetic nature to the story of this family who unwittingly sort of, oh, that's another one I forgot, The Grudge. Right. You're going to see some grudge yeah, yeah, in here, yeah. too, because there's sort of a curse that's brought onto this house. And they think the one daughter is possessed, but at the same time, this demon that has gripped the house changes faces and can change identities at will, like it follows. Right. And so that makes the family members think that their brothers or sisters or husbands or wives are doing these evil things that they're not really doing, mm-hmm. turning family member against each other. So that and that where I think the movie succeeds outside of horror, because at the very end, as they bring in the brother, it turns out the 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 father of the house, his brother is a priest racked with guilt who is thinking about leaving the priesthood, but he may be the only one to be able to uh, exercise this demon from the house. So he comes back in. And by the time it's over, there's a nice little undercurrent of morality in that we hurt each other so easily and that sometimes we can be easily led astray to think that hurt is not only justified but divine. Mm. And I'm not talking about just family members, but just 
to yeah. each other, our mm-hmm. citizens, mm-hmm. our population. And I think it works pretty well on that level, too. It's not exactly original. I wouldn't say that, <laughs> but I really think it's more of an effective horror movie with some good scares and some good blood, more so than I thought it would be when I started seeing all these very recognizable themes pile up. So overall, I think it's a good, one of the better Shutter originals uh, that I've seen here lately, and that is Metamorphosis. All right, we've been saying that there's been no lobby lately, but we have a special treat for the lobby. Let's go. Yes, we do. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Yeah, as we said a while now, the video releases have caught up to the actual releases, so we don't have anything like that to talk about. But if you didn't notice, look at your calendar. The year is half over. It is. So we've got our top ten movies for the first half of 2020. What do we got? Well, the first one might be the most divisive choice, but we don't care. We very (laughs) much liked Capone. We did like Capone and Tom Hardy and the way that movie was told. Not the way you have seen Capone in any other movie. No. Uh, So that is 10. And by the way, we should say we had to compile this list before Hamilton because Hamilton is a July release. That's exactly right. And that doesn't count. All right. (laughs) So number nine, a horror movie that we got to see at the Nightmares Film Festival here Mm -hmm. in Columbus, Ohio. We liked a lot. The Lodge. Such a great one. Very Creepy. creepy. Really well made. And then another one, at, well, we have at number eight. It's a Russian action movie. It is an action movie. There is a great deal of action. It's just that it all takes place in one room, which <laughs> is right. quite a feat. And it was bloody and super fun, and it's called Why Don't You Just Die? At number seven is a based-on-true-events movie starring George Mackay from 1917, The True History of the Kelly Gang. Love that. That's at number seven in our list of the top ten movies so far in 2020. Number six is the first documentary on the list, one that you loved so much that you felt like you should have had college credits for watching it, Capital in the 21st Century. Yeah, if you want to see about why we're in the crazy mess we're in, specifically America Mm -hmm. and America's economy, watch this movie, Capital in the 21st Century. At number five is a, a quiet movie. I don't know how many people saw this, but please, it's out there. See it. It's by uh, writer-director Eliza Hittman, mm-hmm. who really is showing her skill as being a, a, an intimate storyteller. And this one is called Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, about two young girls, their courage and leaning on each other through a trying time in one of the girls' lives. Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Check it out. That's number five. And then number four is just a sci-fi film that came out of nowhere and was entertaining as all get out. The Vast of Night. Loved it. Such a throwback to a it's almost set up like an old Twilight Zone episode, telling a story of a small town and maybe aliens in decades past small town America. Loved it. The Vast of Night. At number three, another one that we saw at Nightmares Film mm-hmm. Festival. Uh, this one came out very, very, very early in the year, so much that we had to check the dates to see if it counted <laughs> as a 2020 release, but one that we really loved called Swallow. So good. And then number two, I think, is the movie that I was the most excited about for the entire year, so I'm so glad that it turned out to be as good as we hoped it would be, Shirley. Yeah, Elizabeth Moss, starring as Shirley Jackson and starring with Michael Stuhlbarg. It's brilliant. As her husband, fantastic. And at number one, Spike Lee's latest 
greatest the five bloods. Delroy Lindo. <laughs> I'm excited. I hope the Oscars actually happen because I feel <laughs> confident that he will get uh, a nomination at the very least, and that will be excited to see. I feel you are right. And the great thing is, all of those are available right now. That's right. To go Every single find one. And go stream. So uh, please do that. That's our top 10 so far, the first half of 2020. Looking ahead to next week, we've got the latest from Tom Hanks, and this is going to be on Apple TV, Apple Plus, mm-hmm. called Greyhound. And the latest from Charlize Theron, nice. kicking some ass and looking good doing it. And that's one's going to be on Netflix, The Old Guard. Um, horror movie called Relic. Good one. Another one I haven't seen yet, but it's got a great title, Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets. I do like that title. It's a good one. <laughs> and a new Shutter original called The Beach House. So that's all for next week. In the meantime, what do you think about Hamilton? What do you think about any of the other films that we talked about this week? What do you think about 80s Chicago? <laughs> And what do you think about our top 10 for the first half of 2020? Let us know. Always fun to keep the conversation going. You can find us on Twitter. That's easy at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website for all of our written reviews and our other fun stuff like our horror movie only podcast called Fright Club. That's all at MadWolf.com. Appreciate you stopping by the screening room as always. If you would do us a favor while you're here and subscribe, rate, and review, we would appreciate it. And until next week, She's Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. Now we're going to go watch Hamilton again. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>